Your Honor, I'm not here to argue that any old podcast should be allowed to talk about video games. I'm here to argue that this podcast should be allowed to talk about video games. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today we're talking about our beloved Ace Attorney series, which has a new trilogy of games re-releasing on modern platforms this week. There's a lot to talk about, and the judge is going to shut us down any minute, so let's get into it. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Schreier. Hello. hello. Hey, hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Welcome one yes. and all to another <laughs> Welcome, welcome one and all to another episode of we Triple Click. We made it back every week. We somehow here we are. get here again. Despite the odds. Despite <laughs> Coming through to record for all of you against the odds, despite any any further weather complications or it's recovery fine. complications that may be happening in Portland. Portland We're making is it happen. fine. Everything's it great is fine. there. Everything's great. And the reason it's great is because Triple Click is listener supported. Or at <laughs> that's least that's right. the reason Triple Click is great. And we appreciate all of your support. Of course, you can become a member and support our show at maximumfund.org slash join. There's a link for that in the show notes. And if you join, you get bonus episodes every month that we put out. And our next one is going to be out next week. It's going to be all of our ones more thing, all of our picks for our favorite non-game stuff from last year. So it'll be a lot of discussion of that sort of stuff. And I think just kind of a loose discussion of whatever we want to talk about. It's going to be great. Um, so that's uh, MaximumFun.org slash join. Become a member. Support our show. We love all of our members. Thank you all so much. All right, Jason Schreier, what are we talking about this week? Today we are talking about Ace Attorney, aka Phoenix Wright, the wonderful series about being a lawyer. Um, So this week marks the release of the Apollo Justice Collection, which is a trilogy of games in the Ace Attorney series. And um, to zoom out for a second... Mm. There are six main games in the Ace Attorney series. The first three were released as a compilation, a remastered compilation for like Switch and PC and all the consoles in 2019. And this is the second half of that compilation, the next three games that are now coming to all of those same modern consoles. So now you can get all six main Ace Attorney games on your Switch. Um, and you should. Cool. They, yeah, you should. They're pretty cool. There, pretty think. good. Pretty good. All right. <laughs> All, right. Said, All right. Now for one more thing. Good app. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good today. We're going to talk about what makes the series work, why people love it so much, the kind of the ins and outs of it. Um, I've been playing a ton of this new compilation, and I found that Apollo Justice is really good, and that there's a notable change from Apollo Justice to the next two games, which are on 3DS, which we can get into a little mm. bit. But first, let's all just kind of give a little bit about our background on this series so everyone can know kind of where we stand. Um, I've played every single one and almost all of the spinoffs, so um, I I have the kind of the, the definitely a breadth of knowledge on this stuff, at least <laughs> from what I remember. Um, Kirk, <laughs> how many of these games have you played? I have played every single one of them. I think the only one that I maybe haven't finished is Spirit of Justice, which is the 2016 one. I think that was the second of the 3DS. 
mm-hmm. games, yep. and I I just have this That's sneaking suspicion. Is yeah. that the one where there's a whale that talks that testifies? <laughs> no, the whale is DLC for one of the games. Oh, okay. Uh, of I think I maybe didn't play that. So there's a couple things I haven't played, but I've played everything over the years. I first played the very first uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney on my uh, cousin's wife's uh, DS. This was probably in like 2000, I mean, I guess in the mid-2000s. When did that come out? That came out in 2005? Yeah, on the DS. It came out for the Game Boy in Japan only, and then the DS kind of remaster came here. So it was on her DS, and it must have been like, yeah, 2006 or something then. Wow. And I remember I had no idea what it was, and I didn't have a DS. I was like borrowing. I don't even remember how I came to be borrowing someone's DS. And I started playing it, and I remember that very first case. There's a shocking murder, which is really surprising. And I was like so caught up in it and wanted to finish it. And then I had to give the DS back at the end of our visit. And at the time, I just I didn't know that Phoenix Wright was a phenomenon anywhere like in Japan or at all like that it was a big deal I didn't know what it was and then it was only many years later that I found I think all three of them uh, for DS and played through them all and was like oh yeah I remember this I remember playing this and I've loved <laughs> them ever since yeah they're fun to kind of mainline through before Maddie I want to get to you in a second but I actually let me just kind of set the scene for people who might not actually know much about these games so they're essentially visual novels uh, in that they are mostly reading kind of combined with point-and-click adventures. And so the way they work is um, each game is split up into a series of cases, usually five or six of them, four or five or six of them, and each of them surrounds a murder. And you, as Phoenix Wright, or a couple of other attorneys who pop in later, your job is to um, defend someone who is accused of those murders and is almost always innocent of those murders. Mm -hmm. Um, And And you have to solve the murder while you're already on trial, which is a lot. Right, you're basically a detective as well. the game is so the game is split up into two kind of sections. One is the investigation section where you go around and talk to witnesses and look for clues and the crime scenes. That's the point and click adventure part. And then the other part is the courtroom sections where you're unraveling the mystery on trial by interrogating witnesses, pointing out when they're lying and using evidence to kind of show the contradictions in their cases. And what's really kind of makes this series so appealing to people is that it's just way off the wall with its humor and it's kind of poking fun at the way that the justice system works um, in Japan and the way that um, that uh, just the 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 amount of kind of offbeat zany humor in this series puns, is just wordplay. out of control. The puns <laughs> are very funny too. Anyway, Maddie, what's your kind of um, level of expertise with the Ace Attorney series? So I I always knew about Ace Attorney and just kept meaning to play it and never got to it until 2019. So if people go back and they listen to Split Screen in that era, I think this was like Maddie had just joined the Mm -hmm. show era and all I was doing was playing Ace Attorney. So pretty much every week I was just talking about how great all these early Ace Attorney It was your Dark Souls before Dark Souls. It really was. (laughs) I I just played all of Ace Attorney. I I also remember that was... um, when I was early on in my relationship with Dina and I was playing a lot of Ace Attorney and she was watching it and being like, oh, wow, there's like a lot of text-based games. This was before Dina became the hardcore gamer she is today. Mm. And there's a lot of different kinds of games. And I feel like Ace Attorney isn't what the typical person might think of as being a, a kind of game that might exist and might be 20 years old and pretty well established because it's a mystery-solving game. There's no 
combat. There's no like twitch reflexes required in it. It's just looking at the clues that you have and trying to figure out when to present them, which is not always intuitive, <laughs> but we can no, get into well, why and how it works and what it the pitfalls is, you know, it are. It is that. It is um, a mystery solving game. And yet it's presented with the, with the aesthetics of a fighting game. And that's part <laughs> that's of what true. makes it so much fun. Right. Especially the courtroom scenes. You are trading blows with the prosecutor. There will often be sound effects that sound like punches and yep. hadoukens. I mean, they're, they're almost doing combo moves at one another. And of course, this is a Capcom game. So it's, that's it's almost got some Street Fighter crossover DNA. The music, of course, we should mention the music is an incredible part of these games. Bing! Kirk here, just with some excerpts from the original Phoenix Wright soundtrack composed by Masakazu Sugimori and Akemi Kimura. Just incredible music throughout this entire series and a huge part of the series' identity to me and I think to a lot of other people. So shout out to those composers. Okay, back to the show. the way that these court battles play out and they really feel like battles between a a defense attorney and a prosecutor it is like each fact each revelation each turnabout in the game's parlance is like an uppercut or a spinning kick and they're Mm -hmm. delivered in this very um high octane frenetic way even though usually they aren't hitting one another i guess some of the prosecutors can get kind of violent (laughs) yeah (laughs) often they are the prosecutors each of the prosecutors in each game is a character in his own or her own right and they all Mm -hmm. have weapons too (laughs) francisca and her whip of course a very yeah which is a preposterous thing um there's there's kind of a fine a fine line between the prosecutors attacking you with their weapons and the more serious murders that are conducted with weapons uh Mm -hmm. but that's part of the charm maddie um you didn't say which games you played. right that's true uh well they all have similar names so i guess i guess the first three that were on switch were just ace attorney justice for all and trials and tribulations Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. i never did finish the one that is set in an alternate time period that we did talk about on triple click a while back it's not an alternate it's not an alternate it's just the past yeah yeah Yeah. i don't know how to describe it yeah it's a distant relative of phoenix right is that how they yeah justify an ancestor of course and even though he's kind of functionally exactly like Phoenix, right? He just exists in the past. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is my first time playing these new ones now that they're on the Switch. And I'm having a great time and laughing out loud at a lot of it and just being like, I love puns. I simply love stupid <laughs> puns. And uh-huh. ha- I'm I'm loving it. Like, it just has a really specific kind of wordplay that props to the people who translate these games. Because obviously I'm, I'm yes. playing them in English. I don't know how the puns work in in the original Japanese. I can only assume they're just as clever and that therefore the localization team has to try to come up with puns and wordplay that work just as well in English for usually it's characters from around the globe as well. Like in the first mystery in um, uh, what's the name of the first game I would be playing, Jason? Is it is it the great Ace? What's what am I playing? It's now? Just Ace Attorney. Just Ace Remember Attorney. One. Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. Yeah, but I'm playing as Apollo Justice now. The new You're one. You're talking about Apollo Justice yeah. Colin Ace Attorney. Just call him. Just call him four. Just like it's easier to just be like <laughs> Ace Attorney. Ace one. Attorney mm-hmm. four. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Yeah, there's a Russian character, and she keeps 
referring she keeps speaking in russian and i'm i'm i can only assume that she does that in japanese as well and they just integrate in russian and her russian accent but written in japanese and i i find it very charming to think about mm-hmm. that and the, all the games are that way with characters from around the world being yeah the localization is especially funny because yes it's it's very well done um in a lot of uh ways and the puns and the writing it's all quite well done um but there's also this kind of funny setting where they say they're in California, but there's so many clearly right. Japanese aspects of it. And this is always a meme about the series that it's like it's set in people call it J- Japanifornia mm-hmm. um, because it's like uh, there is this comic that was always floating around where it's like Maya Fey, who's Phoenix Rice's uh, uh, right hand woman. And um, they're talking about like eating hamburgers and they're clearly eating ramen noodles. And it's like, <laughs> eat your hamburger. It's Phoenix, like the classic anime mm-hmm. overdub thing where like the characters uh-huh. are eating dub and the voiceover says it's donuts. It's, it's yeah, yeah, that yeah, exactly, exactly. It's so silly. Um, yeah, and it's really uh, to your point, Kirk. The kind of the back and forth is just such a fun, entertaining, dramatic kind of. It's it's also these courtroom battles are such a kind of heightened, like soap opera e like kind of. You can imagine this all playing out on I don't know anime Judge Judy or something mm-hmm. like that because or like Harvey you just Bird have Band, these ridiculous like scenes that. and every single. Uh, uh, witness is just lying under oath um, <laughs> about everything and yeah. your job and is to just kind of fine. figure out yeah it's allowed within this world I mean there are a lot of things that just uh, everybody gets away with in the, the like this law which I think is part good, of the point but like I the mean, judge it's will kind be like of, okay now that's enough stop lying and tell the truth now and the yeah, character right, will be exactly. like okay, it's just okay. like yeah <laughs> Um, it's interesting. <laughs> so it's good. kind of, it's very much, and I think Shu Takumi, who's the original series creator, I think he intended this as kind of a send up of the Japanese justice system because it's it's all so heightened and it feels like such a parody um, uh, in so many ways. And uh, I think it's it's pretty clever in some of the things that they do, um, some of the themes they play around with. Um, the Apollo, uh, Apollo Justice game, the fourth game, and the first game in this new trilogy that just came out, which, by the way, I recommend full throat. Um, that game is uh, uh, has like introduces this concept of a jurist system and what that might look like, and that has some fun ideas. Um, by the way, for people wondering if you've never played these games, um, the first three games and the next three games are actually kind of. Um, I won't say 100% self-contained, but like maybe 95% self-contained as trilogies in their own rights. So you could really, if you haven't played the first three games, I mean, you should, but if you don't want to, if you just want to play the new stuff, you can jump into Apollo Justice without missing too much context. Like you'll have enough context to keep going because um, the way that the games work is that the first three games all star Phoenix Wright and then... um, the creators after those three games, especially Takumi, were like, uh, we want to move on from Phoenix. Let's try to tell a new story. And so the fourth game largely stars Apollo Justice, who's this new character brought in just for this game. And then Apollo sticks around and then they introduce a new attorney named Athena Sykes in uh, in uh, game five. Dual and then, yeah, So for, throughout game five and game six, it's kind of the three of them alternating. And so their stories are kind of uh, told throughout these three games in a way that is a lot more kind of contained to those three. And then the trilogy, the first trilogy, is actually kind of self-contained as a trilogy and 
stories. It, it kind of leads in from one to two to three. Um, and it's a lot of like stuff on Miles Edgeworth, who's this, this kind of famous prosecutor and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So in other words, this is actually a pretty good place to jump in, um, even if you haven't played the first three games. Yeah, it is, though. I'm not sure I wouldn't just recommend people start at the beginning because yeah, there is like some significant you know, visual or gameplay upgrade that happens in the new trilogy, they all play pretty similar. There is a significant visual. It's interesting. So the first four games were on, well, the first three games, I believe, were on GBA and then ported to DS, and the fourth game was just on DS. But then the fifth and sixth game are on 3DS, and they actually add massive visual upgrades. You know, I'm not sure I agree that it's always an upgrade, though. I think that, so Dual Destinies and Spirit of Justice both have 3D character models, and they have a lot more going Going on, but I really mm-hmm. like how the first three games look. I think they look great. They're just 2D characters. When I say upgrades, I guess I should say changes. I'm not necessarily, I'm not implying any sort of improvement. But 3D is better than 2D because it's a higher <laughs> number, and we all know right, that. Right. That is true. Because it's, is it's true. 2003 and we all are uh, console warriors. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think that given that it's kind of just a change and a bit of a neutral one, and in some ways, I think I actually prefer the look of the original games. I would kind of just say, just start with the first Phoenix Wright game. It starts yeah. with a bang and it introduces you to the world and it's the rhythm. It's great. It's just as funny. Um, rewinding to something Ugh. you were talking about earlier, Jason, with the sort of the weird cultural blurriness in this game where you're in California, but you're also not. I think playing this game as an American is particularly fun, or at least it was for me when I was starting out, because I didn't understand that this was a sort of perverse cartoonish version of the Japanese justice system, Uh and it bears very little resemblance to the American justice system, or really I should say um, though as the, as, the, as the son of a lawyer who does understand some things about the criminal justice system, uh, most Americans understand our criminal justice system by watching uh, Law and Order. You know, we watch TV. And so we have like this TV justice system that we understand where things work a certain way. Witnesses are treated a certain way. Mm-hmm. You have to prove things beyond a reasonable doubt. Jurors have to consider things. Like there's just this whole rhythm that we understand from all the TV shows that we've watched. And playing this game throws that all out the window. Like nothing mm-hmm. goes in the order that it's supposed to go and nothing makes sense. Mm-hmm. And because they set up every story and every every conflict basically so that Phoenix, the defense attorney, is totally wrong-footed from the start. He walks into a lot of times you walk into you walk into court with like no idea what's going totally on. And like, there's all this like the prosecutor's like, haha, I have a ton of evidence that's just gonna destroy you. And you're like And you're like, I don't I've never seen it. I don't know what it is. I think about my cousin Vinny when absurd. he's like the prosecutor says that he has that he has all this evidence. And then Marissa Tame is like, you know, you can just make him show you that because of discovery. <laughs> like uh-huh. all of these things that we learn about just don't apply in the world of Phoenix, right? So it's very disorienting. And you kind of, it puts you in Phoenix's shoes or which, whoever the defense attorney is, who's always on the defensive and always recovering and improvising and kind of juggling their way toward eventually winning at the last minute by figuring something out and pulling it out in court. It's also very expedited. Like a murder will happen and by 9 a.m. the next yeah. morning you'll yeah. be in trial. <laughs> Defending, right. Which is, I guess why no one has any of the evidence properly uh, sorted. And right, like yeah. sometimes even the prosecutor themselves would be like, oh, I just remembered. I actually have a really detailed photograph that depicts something completely different or like right, the other right, side uh, of this key piece of evidence. Yeah, I forgot to it's mention. It's a very improvisational justice like, system in general. How did that not come up until four acts into this case? Like what is um, happening? 
I should say also, the way we've described it, it sounds ridiculously silly and zany, but there's also kind of like some, an emotional core to a lot of it. And it does explore some interesting themes. Um, The way it's structured is that each game, even though it has kind of um, a few standalone cases, um, it winds up having this kind of big story thread that all ties together. And um, oftentimes it'll be like a, a bunch of kind of things that are hinting towards like one final case that is a culmination of everything. Um, a lot of the more modern games, it'll be like um, an opening case where like something doesn't quite make sense and you don't understand something and then you only find out the answer later on like in the final case and it all kind of ties together that way. Um, but it does really explore this stuff in interesting ways and the characters are very entertaining and um, also have a lot of emotional depth to them. Um, there's a lot of interesting just kind of backstory behind Phoenix and his relationship with um, his friends or with Miles and with other people and uh, his his like child his like high school or college girlfriend plays a, a major role and in, uh, in one of the games and there's a lot of interesting stuff that it explores even kind of in addition to or maybe below the uh, the zaniness of it all. Yeah, they do a good job of stacking the narrative where. A lot of times the clients that you'll have at the beginning of a game, you know, of the series of cases that you're solving over the course of one of these games, the clients that you'll have will eventually become recurring characters in future cases because you'll get them off. You know, they'll have been accused of murder in case two. And then in case three, you know, maybe it was like a restaurant owner in case two. Then in case three, it'll be like, oh, they were at this restaurant and who should own the restaurant? But and then their theme music starts mm-hmm. playing and that same character turns up. And this time they're not accused of the crime. They're just, you know, adding color and adding to the story. But because you know them so well from before, it has like a feeling of progression so that by the end when it's all pulling together and sometimes there are revelations about characters that you didn't know and you know there are twists and turns and things that become like really exciting, there's a feeling of a kind of symphonic storytelling going on by the end of each one that is really satisfying um, without being overly it doesn't feel like modern TV exactly. Like it's very episodic, but it does feel satisfying in the end. Like it all pulls together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's good at averting uh, expectations, which I think is smart. Yeah, mm-hmm. I the mysteries are almost impossible to guess, be, almost because they're too silly to guess, but also because you don't have all the evidence. So it's a classic kind of opposite of of a story where you have all the parts and you could conceivably get what is that called like that, that style it, of narrative a, fiction they're, where they're structured as a how catch him not yeah, a who done exactly. it which we talked about i yep. think with poker face where you do yeah. usually see the murder take place before the, the, Natasha the Leone's character know, does, and, yeah, and then yeah, you, get you to often know figure it out. Case takes place. Yeah, you often know who did it. You just don't know how it all came together. And even when you know who did it, or like you can easily guess who did it, you don't you know might why still or be how. surprised. Right. Well, you might still be surprised by another aspect. Right. I just played a case last night where I think it was game five, case two, where like it's very clear who did it, but then you're surprised by some other cool right. twist. Yeah, right. and they'll, it'll turn out that some other person that you didn't even know existed was there or some mm-hmm. other absurd like fourth person shows up i that's what i really like about it is second it shooter combines. Gotcha, yeah exactly okay. exactly <laughs> phoenix Wright would have had that case on lock that is he probably would have figured it he out he would have yeah. figured he it out i think would've. yeah he definitely would <laughs> but that's that's part of what's fun is that it kind of mixes the sense of solving the mystery yourself as the player with still having that sense of surprise where new evidence is introduced by external factors that then complicates the narrative. But that's also what's hard about the game, which we haven't gotten to yet. And I immediately ran into this in the very first case of uh, 
Ace Attorney Apologistus. That's what it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I Almost. could tell, I could tell what piece of evidence was wrong or what what the discrepancy mm. was, but I couldn't figure out which line of dialogue I needed to press the L button on in order to present the piece of conflicting evidence. Which is kind of how every game works, as far as I know. As characters are talking, you can press a button in order to be like, "Hold on a second hold it is what you say Mm -hmm. and there's even an animation on the screen of you saying that really loudly and then you can present a clue from your little evidence locker that contradicts what they're saying but sometimes they'll say a few sentences in a row that pertain to that piece of evidence and you only have a certain number of chances to present evidence before you die i mean i i don't know i've never actually died in one of these games so i don't know what happens but we run out of energy essentially and i think there's a game mm-hmm. over screen yeah i mean what happens is he's uh, the judge is like i've seen enough and he mm-hmm. declares your client guilty and then you get a game over screen but you can just start again yeah from you just have to go you back. are so it doesn't really matter yeah. yeah it is a kind of a tension in those games for me you get these you get a certain number of i believe it's exclamation points that then get knocked away mm-hmm. each time you make yeah, a mistake it's changed it was changed to like a bar it's a progress bar in Apollo Justice, but it's the same right, idea. And I would always just save the game right before doing yep. that and then just try a bunch of stuff. So there is a fair amount of brute force trial and error, or at least there can be for me. Because you can wind up in situations too where the the stakes keep getting higher as you progress through the game. And by the end, you might be in a trial where the judge is being so hard on you that you can't even press a witness Mm -hmm. for additional testimony because they just come up with some reason. They're like, no, you're not allowed to press this witness. So if you even press the witness, I'll penalize you. And you have to really choose your moments. And then you do wind up sometimes in those situations you described, Maddie, where you're like, okay, I know that it's to do with the point of view out of the window and the visibility. And like, I have this diagram and like, I know I'm supposed to present that but maybe it's actually this other thing that's a photo of the window Mm -hmm. and you're just not totally sure which piece of evidence to present and it can be a little bit frustrating because you're losing life basically and then just having to go back and reload to be clear about this so what happens so Kirk what you're describing with the exclamation points in the original DS games if you died got the game over screen ran out of your exclamation points um, it would actually penalize you and you'd have to like go back to a previous checkpoint or a previous save or something like that in the new games um um, and in the remastered versions of all of these games, it's a progress bar. And then also, if you run out, you just can start from where you were. So there's no actual consequence cool. for losing in Though the there is the consequence games. of having to go forward with a health bar that isn't full. And that really bothers me. So yeah. I'm still kind of mm, safe. Totally. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I understand um, Yeah. That. But the, the, the broader point here is interesting, which is kind of that, like, um, the game's developers are thinking a certain way. Way, have a certain, a certain kind of logic and you have to kind of follow that logic and most of the time I don't know tell me if you two disagree but I feel like most of the time it makes sense occasionally there will be some finicky thing where it'll be like I'll yes to your point Maddie where it's like oh it feels like it should be here but actually it's here mm-hmm. or the worst one of the worst things is when um, you have a piece of evidence and you know exactly where it should go but you have
haven't gotten to that point yes. yet because mm-hmm. the game isn't ready for it yet. And yeah. so like, like you actually you have figured to wait it out, a, a couple but more Phoenix things. Wright or Apollo Justice hasn't figured it out yet right. or the witness hasn't right. yet said something that pertains to that piece of evidence. Exactly. But you're already so looking you at a photo and being like, this is it. This is the yeah, discrepancy. It's clearly this. <laughs> um, that said, I mean, I think those moments are pretty rare, at least in my experience playing these games. I think most of the time it feels pretty, the flow is pretty good. It's pretty clear what you should be doing at any mm-hmm. given point. Surprisingly so, considering how yeah. hard it would be to design for something like that. I mean, you're basically oh, yeah. just guessing how quickly you think someone's going to figure it out based on the clues that you've given them. And mm-hmm. then also trying to time out the dialogue such that each climactic reveal happens in order. And then you look back at the picture again and you're like, wait, that's right. And it just, the fact that it works, I would say 90% of the time. And there's just that 10% where I'm like, uh, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do here <laughs> is pretty miraculous. Yeah, the storytelling cadence is really well done in these games. And the moments of Eureka followed by nailing it, followed by watching the delight of, you know, Phoenix finally triumphant in court. It definitely that happens more often than the times when I'm stuck. And they do such a good job. I mean, in those final showdown moments, there are in a lot of these games, you'll enter this, you know, the really kick-ass musical start playing and he'll enter this kind of not, like kind of Super Saiyan mode. Like it's yep. like it, the, the you know, whatever you want to call it, like motion blurred mm-hmm. white and blue lines behind him as he's like getting ready to like fully destroy this person. And the animations that go along with that to bring it back to the fighting game thing. I mean, when you perform a fatality on someone on the stand and they get blasted out, you know, maybe they've been hiding another like person under their coat or something. And finally they get completely destroyed in front of you and they're revealed and, you know, their, their lies are revealed to the world. It's Mm -hmm. extremely satisfying. And it always tends to line up with that moment in your head where you realize like, okay, I've got it. I know exactly what happened. I've got you. And then you, you get to finally execute on that. Yeah. You're reminding me that Phoenix Wright was in Marvel versus Capcom three. I had forgotten it until you were acting it out visibly for me that he does he does he's in a literal fighting game and just like throws pieces of paper at people and like (laughs) shouts objection and it actually does Mm -hmm. damage and it's really fun and great villains melting down is uh is by far like one of the funniest things in the game and a highlight of everything because they come up with these incredible final boss animations for each one (laughs) the other thing that this game is incredible at on the along the same lines is visual gags and so there are so many moments where what you you described like someone's hiding something under their shirt, but also where like someone will just totally blow your mind with a visual reveal. Um, I almost don't <laughs> want to spoil it. I'll, I'll give an example of kind of a minor one. Um, there are two in Apollo Justice that are truly incredible. One of them I won't mention, but the one I will mention is there's um, a musician in case three and mm-hmm. he's kind of like looking at the camera like this and his hair um, is kind of like spiky like <laughs> yeah, this. And then at guy. one point he turns to the side and it's revealed that his hair is actually a massive like it looks like a it's horn like, a cone, like going yeah. all the way out like <laughs> 10 feet in front of his head and you're just like what is going on here um so the visual gags are, are just fantastic mm-hmm. yeah a lot great. of times it's a character who's immaculately put together and just impenetrable and then when phoenix finally reveals the truth about them they'll just be disheveled and their hair will right, be all yeah. messed up and you know they'll, they'll, be, they'll have completely fallen apart <laughs> you know i think am i remembering this correctly that in the ds versions of the game you could shout objection into the DS microphone (laughs) 
and that would perform <laughs> the objection in true. the game. I have no idea. I believe idea. that is the case, the that DS you were supposed did, to be did shouting have a lot at your of microphone DS. work yes. back in the day. Yeah, so the way it worked was you held down a button and you shouted objection or hold yeah. it. They should have um, kept that in. Why isn't that still on the Switch version? Yeah, I guess there's not a microphone on the Switch. I don't Switch. think there's a microphone on the Switch, <laughs> sadly. Well, I guess uh, I have really, to shout really it anyway, whether I'm hurt or not. <laughs> right. So there's actually something that's kind of annoying about these games. They actually, with each game, with each kind of subsequent game, they started adding more and more mini games um, in part mm-hmm. to take advantage of the DS's touchscreen um, yeah. or the 3DS's touchscreen and uh, in part to just kind of switch up the gameplay and court like um, in Ace Attorney 5 or in, in Apollo Justice, they introduced this, this idea of like perceiving a witness's kind of tell to see that they're lying mm-hmm. and you just have to kind of like use Apollo's magnifying glass type thing to kind of like spot what is going on while a witness makes a statement but and, and in theory it's kind of cool but in practice it's all just very tedious and makes you mm-hmm. be like alright I, I, I don't know why I'm wasting my time with this I wish I could just go to the next cross which is the one with the chains where the chains appear across the people psych and locks. they're well, so down. that one that yeah. isn't really a minigame because it's, kind of, it's just finding Rampa-esque. contradictions <laughs> no it it's just the same as uh, finding contradictions in right. Right. In the in the court, it is satisfying. Um, like there's an audio visual. Sat- it's satisfying to watch the chains break. I suppose. So, no, that so. one I'm saying is fine. That's not what I'm talking yeah. about. Because that one is just you're doing the same gameplay that you do in the game. It's just like mm. those are for the investigation right, right. sequences rather than the courtroom. Yeah, I get what you. I'm talking about is like you have to do blood testing and like mm-hmm. spray the screen, and you're just <laughs> tapping at a screen. And it's the idea is like these DS gimmicks that right. do not hold up well today. I think, is it the final case? There's one of these games. Is it in Ace Attorney or is it in Trials and Tribulations where the final case is way more involved than all the other ones? Yeah, so and, what you're describing is in the first ahead. game. So in the first game, yeah. it was originally released on the Game Boy Advance and then they added an extra case for the DS mm-hmm. version. So it's more involved because they added all those DS games. Right, there's all this like dusting for fingerprints. <laughs> and yeah. also the story is like really elaborate and it kind of goes to the heart of the justice system. Like it's a much bigger uh-huh. story than a lot of of the earlier ones and it does yeah, kind of stick out kind of I remember really liking story. it and then so that stuff is carried on for Apollo Justice which mm-hmm. was the first like d- game made for the DS and so um what you're describing, the case you're describing at the end of Ace Attorney 1 isn't tied at all to the rest of the first right. trilogy. But then it's tied into Apollo Justice because this lady, Emma Skye, who's the investigator, comes back right. for game four and she's like, here's my luminol. Now you can tap the screen and do dusting and right. stuff. Right, Emma Skye, definitely the purveyor of all kinds of gimmicks. Like, exactly. here's my fingerprint exactly. kit and you can exactly. use the stylus to and dust her fingerprint. And it's just never good. None of that stuff is ever mm-hmm. I do like her as but, a character, though. She's funny. Yeah, I mean, at one point you have to, like, make plaster footprints and it's all just very dumb. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, but it, like those things, those moments are kind of few and far between. And most of the time you're doing the good old fashioned investigating and moving around and mm-hmm. de- detecting things. Um, there are a few kind of big changes that happen in th- the 3DS versions. Um, so you were describing some of the kind of 3D models before, and that's a part of it. There's some other big changes too. One is that um, the investigation scenes in the first four games are all just kind of 2D images and you just kind of poke around. Uh, in the 3DS games, they're actually 3D scenes and you can zoom the camera around as well. You can look at them from multiple angles to look for evidence and stuff like that. Um, 
Also, a few kind of minor things, like uh, in the first few games, when you're moving between areas during the investigation scenes, you kind of, you can't just go anywhere you want. You have to go, like, to one place, and then that's connected to another place, and you have to just kind of shuffle through screens. Mm -hmm. In the Mm -hmm. 3DS games, you can just kind of select from a big menu and go wherever you want. Um, The 3DS games also add some kind of, like, mission briefs, like, here's what you're supposed to be doing now, and other kind of... um, quality of life type stuff. Uh, just worth noting in case people are like curious to check them all out or curious about what the big differences are between all of these games. Yeah, mm-hmm. I still see it as just my de facto in my head what I compare all other solving mystery games to at this point. Maybe just because of when it came out, it's a relatively older game and a lot of other mystery solving games are clearly inspired by it. But also yeah. just because when it works, it feels so great. And as though you really are solving the mystery or putting clues together along with the main character, which is what mm-hmm. you always want in a game like that. And when you don't experience it, it's so frustrating. (laughs) Like the gap Mm -hmm. between feeling like you're playing a game versus actually being in it mentally is so much stronger with a mystery game, I feel like, because you're actually doing the activity almost outside of the game. I feel like we talked about this a bit with Case of the Golden Idol and how much Mm -hmm. you're just staring at the screen and not moving the mouse or anything. You're just looking at it and being like, all right, what do I do here? And that's right. great. Like, that's the best because the game is just all taking place in your own mind. And that feeling is so wonderful when you actually figure out where, when you do need to grab your mouse again and move it and click on the correct thing to do next. But it, it just, I don't know, it all comes back to Ace Attorney. So if people are listening and they liked Case of the Golden Idol or any of those other games we mentioned, You'll probably like Ace Attorney, even if yeah, it is kind of simple and and silly. It's still fun. It's still got some core aspects. Structurally, to it a bit works. different, but it's yeah. a lot more approachable. I think those yeah, games you kind friendly. of have to use your brain in a way that you don't really have to use that much in Ace Attorney. I mean, for all mm-hmm. of like the deduction and investigation and cotton, like presenting evidence to mm-hmm. co- show easier. contradictions. I mean, it's so much easier. And in these games, there's an option to um, they call it consult, where you can get a hint from your assistant on the court stand and they make it extremely approachable in fact these remastered games come with a mode that gets rid of all the puzzles yeah. it's called reader mode I saw and so that. you can just play through the game without like it's an anime you can just watch yeah it. exactly which is yeah. a total totally valid way to play too Mm-hmm. It's structured like um, individual bite-sized mysteries. Like it's just you're very in the moment. It is improvisational. Um, where a game like Golden Idol or Oberdin, that's like a meal. That's a big, mm-hmm. huge event. Like a mystery that you're having to put together on your own. You have to do a lot more work. In Phoenix, right? It really is just like moment to moment. You're like Phoenix. You're just you're living in the moment, and everyone's <laughs> yeah. throwing everything at you, and you're like, okay, wait right a minute. Now. <laughs> like, uh, I just got I've got two pieces of evidence, and something that guy said isn't true. And I just have to figure out what it is. You're just doing that over. Over and over again, and it kind of scales up, but it never becomes as big and labor, like mental labor mm-hmm. intensive, as any of those proper mysteries. And yeah, we, I think we talked about this on our episode about mystery games. We had a pretty in depth discussion about like these different types of mysteries and how they work differently. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A quick note on the spinoffs in this series before we uh, before we call it for the week. Um, I think it's worth noting there's a few spinoffs that have been released over the years. Um, one is The Great Ace Attorney, which, Manny, you mentioned before. We talked about this on Triple Click a couple of years ago when it came out. They're great um, this games. Is, it's a pair of games. It's a duop, duology um, of games that are set in the past, set in the uh 
turn of the 19th century um, with mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes and uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it's actually Sholmes. not Sherlock. That's and, right. Uh, and yes, Phoenix Wright's uh, distant ancestor. And those games, I actually think um, might be the best of the entire they're re- series. They're, they're really great. good. They're, they're quite good, especially go number two. And number two, it's one of those mm-hmm. uh, scenarios where like number one is setting up a lot of things and yep. number, and number two, two just like yeah. knocks them all down. Um, so those games are really worth checking out. Also now released for um, all the modern platforms. I played them all on Switch. Um, there's Ace Attorney Investigations Miles Edgeworth, which is kind of a weird spinoff where you're playing as a prosecutor and the gameplay is a little bit different. There's more kind of walking a model around as Miles mm-hmm. Edgeworth. The first game came out for, um, I believe, the DS or the 3DS, but the second game never came to uh, the US. So that game, there was like a big fan translation. Um, there's a theory or kind of a, a hope, I guess, that um, Capcom will now release an investigations compilation the way they've been compiling all these other games. So maybe that'll come in the future. And then the other one is called Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright. And it's kind right. of a, 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 a spinoff that combines these two right. beloved Persona series. Persona X Fire Emblem kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I was actually really disappointed by this one because it's I not actually that. like a crossover between the two. It's actually the way it, it's structured is that there are latent, scene, latent kind of um, gameplay and then there's Phoenix Wright gameplay. It doesn't try to combine them. So it'll be like, here's the part where you go around and do puzzles. Here's the part where you're in court and just kind of doing Phoenix Wright stuff. It's not like finding some clever way to have like Leighton doing like cross examinations and like solving puzzles. Right. Like he's an expert witness or something. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't do that. It's very separated. Mm. And that Mm. I thought was an unfortunate way to do things. But like if you're into these games, of course, it's, it's always going to be fun. Um, really the great ace attorney are the ones to check out and those because they're set in such a different time period are totally standalone and so um, yeah. also a good a good entry point for the series and they they incorporate the Herlock Sholmes the deduction thing that is a very fun different wrinkle to the gameplay those are always my favorite parts of those games is mm-hmm. when it's time for Holmes to do his deductions and you get to recreate a sequence with him and the two of you do this dance like it's the dance, so the freaking amazing. good and um, uh-huh. yeah some of my favorite stuff in any ace attorney game Yes, incredibly good. Um, cool. Well, so yeah, the Apollo Justice trilogy is out this week. Um, I can't wait to play it again. Through it, yeah, it's, it's, so it's a really time. good kind of um, uh, relaxing, kind of chill on the couch and play a little bit in mm-hmm. between things. Mm-hmm. It's a good kind of pally cleanser. Have a giggle. For- at some the more action-focused games. Yeah, and uh, and it's really cool. And, like, none of these games, some of these games have their kind of weaker moments or weaker cases, but none of them are bad. They're all just baseline good, so it's hard to not recommend playing this trilogy. And I was actually surprised by how great Apollo Justice uh, Ace Attorney 4 is um, and how well it all ties together. And I'm sure I'll feel similarly about five and six as I play through through more of them. All right, why don't we take a break and then we'll be back with one more thing. From the twisted minds that brought you the Adventure Zone, Balance and Amnesty and Graduation and Ether Sea and Steeplechase and Ultra Space and all the other ones. The McElroy brothers and dad are proud to reveal a bold vision for the future of actual play podcasting. It's, um... It's called The Adventure Zone versus Dracula? Yeah, we're gonna kill Dracula's ass. We're gonna, well, we're gonna attempt... We haven't recorded all of it yet. 
We will attempt to kill Dracula's ass. The Avengers of versus Dracula. Yes, a season I will be running uh, using the D&D 5th edition uh, rule set. And there's two episodes out for you to listen to right now. We hope you will join us. Same bat time, same bat channel. For and bats. I see what you did there. People say not to judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Which is why here on Just the Zoo of Us, we judge them by so much more. We rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics, taking into consideration each animal's true strengths, like a pigeon's ability to tell a Monet from a Picasso or a polar bear's ability to play basketball. Guest experts like biologists, ecologists, and more join us to share their unique insight into the animal's world. Listen with friends and family of all ages on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. And we are back. Kirk, Kamani, it is time for one more thing. Kirk, start us off. So I watched a movie with my D&D group that I absolutely loved, <laughs> and I just wanted to recommend it on the show. And that movie is Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves, which came out last year. And I knew it was good. Everyone's talked about how great it is. Um, we were really just waiting to get as many of us together to watch a movie as we could because I thought it would be a fun thing to watch with my D&D group. And it turns out it really is. Um, but it's also just a great movie. I think... I'm sure a lot of our listeners have already seen it, but anyone who played Baldur's Gate and liked it <laughs> has to see this movie. Like, it's so funny how much it has in common with Baldur's Gate and how often you'll see things from the world of D&D and just how much fun it is if you've ever played D&D. Um, this is a so this movie is directed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who I guess I knew them as having written Spider-Man Homecoming, but they're kind of just pros in Hollywood. They've they've written a lot of movies together and, and worked together for a while. It stars Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez. They're kind of the two leads. Chris Pine is a bard and Michelle Rodriguez is a barbarian. And it's it's a very like it's tongue in cheek in a way. It's a little bit self-aware, but it never breaks the fourth wall. There's never a moment where, you know, they, <laughs> you see the I don't players know, like playing as that. Does, I was table. wondering if it was going to be that kind of a movie and it's not. And it also like never makes fun of the fact that it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's a little like The Princess Bride, but even like, I guess more like the movie than the book, The Princess Bride. It's never making fun of the fact that it's taking place within this rule set in this world that we all understand, even though there will be things like, you know, he'll say, well, we've got about six hours, so I'm going to take a rest. <laughs> and if you play D&D, you're like, oh, a short rest. Okay, cool. Like, you kind of know how that works. Or you can see there will be sequences where... They'll mention some, you know, ancient god, and then two of the characters will be like, "Oh, I know that, I know that name," and they'll because they just pass a history check, and they'll like, you can tell kind of when the checks are happening if you've played D anD D, but if you haven't, it's just a fun fantasy caper, and it winds up being very much like assemble a party, and we have to go perform a heist. Um, Hugh Grant is in this movie as the villain, and he is really wonderful. It has a bunch of just really enjoyable uh, side characters and bits uh, from, from start to finish. So yeah, it's, it's basically the story of a group of adventurers who need to break into a certain vault. There are all kinds of, you know, lore ramifications and characters from around the world of D&D uh, sort of flitting in and out. And the more familiar you are with all of that, the kind of more fun the Easter eggs are. But really, it's just very funny. I mean, Chris Pine is extremely charming. Michelle Rodriguez is so great. She plays the heavy so well. And I just hadn't seen her in anything in a while. So she's really good. 
And I really, I can't recommend it enough. Like I said, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen it. But if you play D&D or if you played Baldur's Gate, you have to watch it. Like, it's made with that in mind. It's, you know, it's very aware. Like, it takes place in Neverwinter. They're constantly talking about, you know, the the Sword Coast and Baldur's Gate and all the, you know, Waterdeep, all the places that are referenced in the games and in the most kind of popular D&D media. Um, I saw that this movie didn't do well, which is too bad. I'm kind of not surprised. Speaking of names. I think the name is pretty weak. Like, I think putting Dungeons and Dragons in the title has the baggage of that earlier Dungeons and Dragons movie, which I never saw, but I think was pretty, apparently pretty mediocre. I think it was just called Dungeons and Dragons. And also, Honor Among Thieves is just a kind of blah yeah, title. It's like, it's mush. basically the title of Uncharted 2. Yeah, I was going to say, word. it sounds like an Uncharted game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Uncharted That's just game. Among Thieves. So yeah, <laughs> it's better because true. it has an extra yeah. word. That but is it's an just not a, game. <laughs> it's not a great title, especially given that it's so fun. I mean, anyone who likes movies like Stardust or The Princess Bride, those kind of really light, high fantasy, funny movies with like really charismatic, charming leads would love this movie. I mean, I would watch it again in a second. Uh, so I really like wholeheartedly recommend it and anyone out there who is like oh I don't know that looks kind of mid it's not it's it's a very good movie it's very very funny and I think anyone listening to this would enjoy it so a wholehearted recommendation for that uh, from me and if you have a D&D group watch it together it's fun mm. to watch with your group cool. Maddie what's your one more thing Mine is also a movie, but it's a documentary that Dina recommended we watch after we finished the Barbie movie. And I'm going to recommend it because I figure more people are probably seeing that movie because it's Oscar season. And I don't Mm -hmm. know. Anyway, it's called Tiny Shoulders Rethinking Barbie. And it came out in 2018. And I think Dina watched it back then, but we rewatched it. And it's a great documentary. And I can't prove that Greta Gerwig watched it before she wrote the movie, but I am very strongly suspicious that Mm. she did. Not a bad thing at all. So the plot of the documentary, and it does kind of have a plot, is that it's following all these people who work at Mattel while they were doing the kind of 2016 era redesign of Barbie's body type. And specifically, they came out with three different body types for Barbie in that time, and they did a huge... Time Magazine splash cover, and they talked to a reporter, and only that reporter got to hear about it. Although, of course, also these documentarians who were talking to the people making the new dolls also got in on it at the time. So it's kind of a journalism story, but it's from the other side, because the whole time Mm. the Mattel employees are like terrified of what this they they call her a feminist reporter too they're like so scared of what she's gonna write and they're like what's her headline gonna be and people are gonna drag us on twitter it's like very 2016 kind of vibes but it's also (laughs) fascinating they get a lot of talking heads of just you know like gloria stein and roxanne gay like people just talk about the history of barbie and feminism and that's all amazing but the best part to me and the part that reminds me of the barbie movie is just the corporate parts like they just have staff meetings where the people who work at Mattel are just sitting around a table arguing about what Barbie's body type should be and that's like you always want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation Uh and there's this one woman who's who's a young woman and she's like the conservative one like i i don't know how else to describe her so apologies this woman in the sense that she wants to retain the old that's right and she she describes barbie's body as aspirational at one point and you can like see her coworkers cringing and being like Mm. other people don't feel that way about her and like they're literally arguing with one another about the politics of this doll and like multiple people are Mm. like if i could do anything with barbie would be to change her body type and it's fascinating. And they do eventually get there. Like, you know, we, we maybe people don't know if they aren't into children's toys, but like they do have a curvy Barbie now. But it, it's such a like stressful road to get there. 
And it's also just kind of personally fascinating to me to see all these Mattel employees debating because that's also weirdly a part of the Barbie movie. And so many of the things <laughs> they literally say in the movie just reminded me of the stuff that mm -hmm. Greta Gerwig's movie is making fun of in a good way. So if you watch the movie Barbie and you're like, as eh, kind of fun and frothy and I want something that feels a little more real, um, Tiny Shoulders Rethinking Barbie is that because it's about actual people who make the doll. Mm. And it's really cool. It's a really good movie. We watched it on Hulu um, and I recommend it. Nice. Yeah, I'll watch it. That does. That, that sounds, sounds great. Do they talk to the journalist for her? Perspective they do. She's also? in the okay. she's in the movie just a little cool. tiny bit. And her story's yeah. great. I actually read it before I went to the Barbie movie as part of my research. It's super long and it's got a ton of great details in it. And I recommend that, too. Does the Chiron under her name introduce her as feminist, <laughs> feminist journalist? Reporter. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It it's doesn't. That would be like a, a satire documentary. Like, yeah, <laughs> feminist journalist. Yeah. Um, so uh, my one more thing was a video game called Pal World that has kind of Never exploded of over the last <laughs> week. Um, I so also played last, it for a couple hours for what it's worth. Mm, so last, so last I checked it, it sold something like. 40 billion copies in 24 hours. Like that, yeah. um, so this game, people have kind of described it as Pokemon with guns because it's got a bunch of different fun critters that can shoot each other and be <laughs> enslaved and eat each other and stuff. But really, it's it's best described as Ark Survival Evolved or kind of like any kind of survival game with Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Like So you can go around. So when you start, you're kind of dropped into this world and that is kind of um, seems to be procedurally generated, I believe, and it's kind of generic. And you are told to go and create a crafting table and then build a base and so on and so forth. And then it kind of falls into a lot of the trappings that you've seen in a lot of survival games where you're going around and harvesting stone and wood and using them cons to construct things. And then the big gimmick is that um, you go around and you can craft your kind of pokeballs and throw them at the pals that you see in the wilderness to recruit them and uh, bring them to your base where you put them to work and give them food and shelter and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, this game is blown up um, for all sorts of reasons. It's become a lightning rod for controversy for other reasons. Um, people have accused it of all sorts of things. I've seen uh, people say that uh, kind of unfoundedly that it was made by AI because the creators said they were interested in AI and have made a game involving AI in the past. People, I've seen a lot of people claiming that it rips off Pokemon, whether because the designs are similar or because the modeling is similar. People have posted videos of like the mesh models that appear to be similar. Um, I'm not going to get into any of that stuff without doing more reporting on my own, but I can describe what it's like, which is... Um, it's surprisingly unjanky. Like, it's actually, it feels good to play, and I can see why it's so popular. It's not, like, my type of game. I'm not really into survival games, but um, the few hours that I played of it, I could feel that kind of addictive loop and see why so many people are so into it, because it's got just really solid fundamentals. Um, you have this massive technology tree that you are gradually upgrading as you go and you do quests and stuff, and that technology 
technology tree contains all sorts of cool weapons and um, gear and buildings you can construct and things that will make it so you can upgrade your base and get more pals into your base and then go and use them in in cool ways to go beat bosses and do other things out in the world. Um, the game is in early access, so it's not even close to complete. And uh, from what I gather, they have a whole big roadmap plan. These developers have uh, features that they want to add in the future, like raids and stuff like that um but even now there's a lot of stuff in it you can do everything from like getting um bows and arrows to gatling guns and like um there's one pokemon thing pal that uh is like a a flame fox that you can build a backpack and then use them as a flamethrower so it's got that kind of meme ability that um it's perfect for like Twitch and TikTok. And so you can see mm-hmm. why once you start playing, it's very obvious why this game exploded and has become as popular as it is. It's like very much like designed for virality. And I think if I were into this type of game, like if I were more of like a survival, like a Minecrafty Valheimy person, I would be like, wow, this is awesome. I want to keep playing this because it's very well made from what I've seen so far and like um, runs well and feels good in general. Um, There's a paraglider that you can get and there's a bow and arrow and there's all sorts of kind of mechanics that they've thrown into this thing. Um, Then, but the discourse surrounding it has become so (laughs) crazy and and almost poisonous that it's like, you can't, you can't, it's, it's difficult to know what to make of it. Um, I'm sure there will be stories coming out in the future. Um, the developers are based in Japan, which makes it a little difficult for, um, Western journalists to get a hold of them and, and try to figure out what they're here, their side of the story and variety of things. They have of course denied any sort of, um, wrongdoing or copying um, from Pokemon or anything like that. And um, my colleague Cecilia Bloomberg, our our former colleague, um, who's now my current colleague, uh, spoke to a bunch of lawyers for a Bloomberg article that we'll link in the show notes, and they essentially said, yeah, there's no legal case here or anything like that. So Hmm. um, as far as legal wrongdoing, I don't know. It seems like it would be a tough battle to fight. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, but the game is is interesting. I don't know if I would recommend it necessarily, because again, it's not my cup of tea but i think um i can certainly see why it got so popular yeah i can see why too i have some early complaints especially having played lego fortnite so recently and it's funny (laughs) to make that comparison because lego fortnite is so against violence and even though both games have cute little sheeps that you collect wool from in them pal world has you beating the sheep to near death almost immediately because it's that's just kind of part of the edgy world of, of pal world is that you beat these animals and they make adorable noises of pain before you kidnap them and make them build Gatling guns for you. And Lego Fortnite, you just collect the wool and you never kill anybody. Uh, But it does have a really similar gameplay loop early on where I'm, you're just feeling like, man, I just can't get enough pieces of wood. What the heck? I need 20 pieces of wood. And you just do that for like six hours of your life. And then eventually you have more wood than you know what to do with. And I think the real boon is if you have friends who are playing and any survival game, no matter how boring or janky or non those things can be fun if you have five people playing it with mm. you. Yeah, and 100%. That's yeah, enough. It seems like a very know? different experience when you're playing with other people, and I was playing alone, so very, yeah, very for sure. different type of thing. Um, the other thing I'll say is that like, even though it's got the guns and the the violence and the what you described as edgy, um, <laughs> it is not like 
gory or lurid at all. There's no blood. There's no like even when you when you kill one of these pals, they just kind of like roll around in like a, a kind of cartoony like they have X's on their eyes and stuff like that. So you're not really get. It's not really a game where like um, maybe if I play further, I'll like feel differently. But from what I've seen so far, it's not something that I would be like, oh my god, keep this out of the hands of children or something like that. It's just kind of like a a game with guns and Pokemon that is kind of cartoonishly violent in that sense but again i haven't seen everything the game has to offer so there might be worse stuff ahead all right why don't we uh say goodbye for this week kirk maddie see you both next week yeah see you next week bye triple click is produced by jason schreier maddie myers and me kirk hamilton i edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music our show art is by tom dj Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.